invite you this morning to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, if you have your Bible open, Deuteronomy. We're going to read a couple passages from there, Deuteronomy chapter 12, 1 through 7, and then we'll read 14, 1 through 2. I'm continuing on in my January series, which is old sermons Matt has preached before, um, but has reworked. So uh, you've, some of you, if you were here six years ago, um, will have heard a version of this sermon. Uh, this morning, we're going to think about uh, Jesus' commandments to not take his name in vain. Uh, and when we think about that commandment, which we usually call the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Normally, most of us think about swearing. Uh, a few of us might think about putting our hand on a Bible and promising to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And then the law and order, boom, boom, sounds, right? Uh, but I imagine very few of us think about the worship of Jesus or the way that we represent Jesus by our actions and words in the world. But what I'm hoping to show this morning is that those two things, the worship of Jesus and the representation of Jesus, are really at the very foundation of what it means to not take the name of the Lord in vain. And I want to do this. In fact, I think it's good for us to do this again because every Christian carries the name of God with them wherever we go because we're baptized, right? Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized, each Christian individually receives God's name. And thus we carry God's name with us when we're in school, we're in the store, when we're on vacation, when we're online, when we're celebrating, when we're fighting, uh, when we're tired, and when we're rested, right, wherever we are and however we're showing up, we Christians carry the name of Jesus with us to that place and into that relationship always. And so what I want us to see this morning from Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 7, and then 14, 1 through 2, is that when God commands us to not take his name in vain, or more literally commands us to not empty his name of meaning, it's because we're being called to a very specific way of filling his name full of holiness and love by the way that we worship and the way that we represent him wherever he's led us that day. Uh, and so to do that, we're going to think first about God's name and worship from Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 7. Then we'll think about God's name and holiness from Deuteronomy 14, 1 through 2. And then finally, we're going to look at the New Testament and how it calls us to fill God's name to the full in our lives. And there, I'll just kind of reference some, some various passages and read some longer ones for you. And so let's read uh, Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 7, and then 14, 1 through 2, pray. And we're going to think about all this this morning. Deuteronomy 12, starting in the first verse. Uh, these are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices 
your tithes and the contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, and all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. And now over to chapter 14, verses 1 through 2. Uh, you are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Thus far the reading of God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, as we thought last week about um, how you've given your name meaning, we pray this morning that you would help us to think well about how we are blessed to receive your name and the way in which your name given to us gives our lives uh, new meaning and new opportunities and new joy. Lord, we very much want to uh, understand how not to take your name in vain because we want uh, the, the wonderfulness of your name. Uh, to be filled to the full in our lives and to be reflected to those around us. But Lord, we know that none of this will happen unless your Spirit blesses us. And so, Father, we pray that your Spirit, who wrote and inspired your Word and preserved it, would be at work now in us to give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe it. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and may the meditation of all our hearts, as those called to hear and respond to your Word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first we're going to look at Deuteronomy 12 and what it says about God's name and worship. Uh, but before we look at that specifically, one helpful way to think about Deuteronomy as a whole is as a catechism. And a catechism, for those who don't know, is a way to teach the faith, uh, what we believe about Jesus and how we live for Jesus to future generations. And that's essentially what Deuteronomy is doing. It's passing on the faith to the future generations of those who are going to live in the promised land after Moses' death. And we can see this in the way that Deuteronomy is actually structured a, a long time ago, even before, I think a little after I preached the sermon, so maybe five years ago, uh, I preached on Deuteronomy, and we looked at how Deuteronomy uh, is structured around uh, the Ten Commandments. So after some important introduction, Deuteronomy restates the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, and then from chapter 6 onward, it's teaching ancient Israel how to apply those commandments in their life together with Jesus from generation to generation. Uh, now, chapter 14, which we're going to get to in a moment, is actually the commentary on the third commandment. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Chapter 12 is the commentary on the first and second commandments. You shall uh, have no other gods before me, and you shall not worship idols. Uh, but you can see... Uh, that the name of God is also very much central to chapter 12 as well, which shows us that uh, as much as the Ten Commandments can be distinguished, they can't really be separated from one another either. Uh, so if you, look at, uh, if you look at verse 4 of chapter 12, uh, after the command to Hulk smash all the idols and their altars in the promised land, God says this, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, this is verse 4, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. Notice first, the name of God and the dwelling place of God 
that is the, the house of God, the place where God lives in a unique and special and powerful way on the earth, those are all linked together. God lives in the places where he has put his name. Right? That's just what God says in verse 4. And the amazingness of this statement is actually explored a little bit later on in the Old Testament. Uh, after Solomon in 1 Kings, so a few hundred years after this, uh, builds this beautiful temple to Jesus in 1 Kings 8, he prays this. I'm going to read this prayer for you. He's praying to God. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there. Right? Solomon's amazed, and we should be amazed. Like God is everywhere. He can't be contained by anything. And yet, God lives in a special and unique and powerful way here on earth in the places where he's put his name. Uh, God's house is where Jesus' people experience joy, fellowship, forgiveness, and provision. God's house is where they learn to see Jesus and to follow Jesus and know that he hears them. And that's just verses 6 through 7 of chapter 12. All those offerings, all the sacrifices are about entering into this joy-filled, thank-filled, peace-filled life with God that the Bible calls worship. Where Jesus puts his name is where he lives, and in that place is the fullness of life with Jesus. And there, in that place, is the goal and fruit of worship given and received, right? The goal to live with Jesus in forgiveness and in welcome and in joy and the fruit, the expression and experience of all those things together as he says, there you shall rejoice, you and your household, in all that the Lord gives you to do. Where Jesus puts his name is where he lives and in that place is fullness of life with Jesus. And so then related to that, if you look at the places where Jesus puts his name in the Old Testament, most prominently the tabernacle and then the temple, you'll see that those are the places that the Holy Spirit fills with his presence in the Bible. You can think of the end of Exodus when the Spirit descends on the tabernacle in front of all of Israel, or when it descends in the temple after Solomon builds it. Uh, in the Old Testament, the place where God puts his name is the place also where the Holy Spirit lives in this unique, powerful way. And thus, that's why that place is where the goal and fruit of worship can be obtained, the fullness of life with Jesus, because that's where the Spirit is. And maybe suddenly Pentecost feels so much more rich to you, doesn't it, when the Spirit descends in fullness on God's people. And maybe baptism is starting to feel more rich to you as well. Because by putting his name on us in baptism, Jesus is telling us that we, the church, are filled with the Holy Spirit because we are God's dwelling place on earth. Right? Jesus' words in John's gospel are true for every single 
a member of Jesus' church. If anyone loves me, Jesus says, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home, dwelling place, habitation in them. This is why, my friends, we can worship Jesus wherever we are because Jesus is with us living with us, blessing us with his presence. It's why we can grow as worshipers and enjoy the fruit of worship because Jesus' name is on us. Uh, We together, incredibly, are part of the temple of Jesus on earth. If you look around at your neighbor, beloved, you are looking at somebody, if they're baptized, who the Spirit has made his home in. You are looking at a congregation, not just of people, but the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on earth. And that's why when we fail to worship him or when we worship someone or something alongside of Jesus, we're taking his name in vain, where we're emptying it of its profound glory that has been given to us as being the house of God's spirit here on earth. One of the places on earth as part of his church where he dwells in this unique and powerful way in the fullness of his forgiveness and grace and life-giving presence. But the name of God isn't only about worship and this incredible life that he gives his people uh, through worship. It's also about representation, or better, holiness. Uh, In the Bible, God's name always creates a new relationship between whatever it's placed on and the world around it. And this new relationship is called holiness. God's name makes something holy. And this is the essence of Deuteronomy 14, not just 1 through 2, but really 1 through 21, which is Deuteronomy's own commentary on what it means to not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, you'll notice that chapter 14 begins in verse 1 with this amazing, this amazing word, which we probably read over way too quickly. This is a word that you could read and just spend a couple weeks praying about. You are the sons of the Lord your God. This father-child relationship is what roots chapter 14 in the commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Or again, more literally, you shall not empty the name of the Lord your God. Uh, What does it mean to empty the name of God as the children of God. Well, what follows this amazing declaration, you are the sons of the Lord your God, is Jesus' reminder that they are, chapter 14, verse 2, a people holy to the Lord your God. Uh, I've said a bunch of times over the, uh, it'll be 10 years this year that I've been your pastor, uh, that uh, holiness is not primarily private and ethical, but relational and ethical. Holiness is about the way we live with each other and God and the world, the way that Jesus does. Holiness is a word that describes a kind of relationship like marriage describes a kind of relationship or friendship describes a kind of relationship or enmity describes a kind of relationship. Holiness describes a kind of relationship which is why you cannot be holy by yourself. Uh, Sometimes, like me, you probably thought, I used to think this in the past, 
You know, I could be so much more holy if it weren't for all the people around me. Like, if I just stay by myself, I'll be holy. No, you can't. Just like you can't be married by yourself. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it's not possible by definition, right? Like, holiness is only possible if you are in relationship with God and your neighbor and your pe- people around you in the, in the world. You can only be holy in, in relationship. Holiness describes the way that you think about the world and your neighbor and Jesus, the way that Jesus does. It describes the way you talk to them and talk about them. It describes the way you treat them, the way you love them, the way you sacrifice for them, the way you care for them, the way you humbly serve them. That's what holiness is. Holiness is about how we reflect Jesus in every relationship. And that's why it's inseparable from all the commandments And it's inseparable from righteousness, and it's, of course, inseparable from love. And in that sense, maybe it helps you to think about Jesus' summary of the law, which he got from the book of Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is not simply a summary of the law. It's also a summary of holiness. Holiness and love for God and neighbor go together. They are inseparable from one another. You cannot be holy unless you are reflecting Jesus's relationship to the world and back to him and to your neighbor. Uh, Now, I know this chapter goes on to talk about the dietary laws. I see some of you reading on in the passage. Uh, When I first preached this sermon uh, six years ago, literally almost to the day, if if Sunday was four days from now, it would be to the day that I preached this sermon, uh, I I talked about how those dietary laws revealed holiness, uh, but frankly, um, as I was reading through it, I was like, this is really boring and really heady, and I don't know how to make this be uh, good for the sermon. So I decided uh, to to turn off the fire hose, which apparently I was six years ago, uh, you can access, though, those old sermon audios from our website, I think. You can listen if you're interested to all that. It's on there. I did it. Uh, but the point I want to make here this morning is simply the one I've been making, which is that to receive God's name means being drawn into a very particular kind of life as a member of God's family. As God's children, as his sons and daughters, we are brought into a holy relationship with Jesus, we are drawn into God's own intra-Trinitarian life, the holy relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so that we can learn how to give the blessings of that righteousness and that love and that service and that humility and that, that sacrificial relationship to everyone around us. As a matter of fact, I think it's one of the reasons why Jesus is so concerned to make sure that we bear the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because he wants us to remember that the life that the holy life that we are expressing to each other is meant to mirror the life that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have been giving to each other before the foundation of the world. Like how incredible is it to think that by bearing God's name in whatever relationship we are, we are called to bear the holy, welcoming, joy-filled, life-giving love of the Trinity to the people around us. See, when Jesus commands us to not empty his name, uh, he, he doesn't mean, he means, excuse me, don't simply carry my name with you in word or title only. Carry my name full of my love and my righteousness and my humbleness and my forgiveness and my mercy and my truth 
in my service, prayerfully work to represent me wherever I send you in whatever relationship I place you in. You bear my name. You are part of my family. You shall be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. So all that said, let me end with just a couple of reflections on the New Testament, both because I want you to see how fundamental this idea is in the New Testament. It's not simply in the Old Testament, though that would be enough, but it's in the New Testament too. But I also hope that it will help sort of fill this in and make it a little bit more concrete. And so first, I want to show you how important the name of God is for us as a church in terms of worship and being God's dwelling place. Uh, an interesting element of Matthew's gospel is that Jesus leaves us with the triune name at the end of the gospel. It's one of the last things Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't leave us with the promise of the Holy Spirit in Matthew's gospel. Whereas in John, Luke, and Acts, Jesus leaves us with the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit. My hope now, though, is that you can see that when Jesus leaves us with the triune name in Matthew, and when he leaves us with the promise of the Spirit in Luke and John and Acts, He's leaving us with the same thing. Because where God puts his name, that is a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. God puts his name on the place where he will live and his spirit comes and makes his home there. That's why Peter in his very first sermon in Pentecost tells that crowd of 3,000 people, repent and be baptized every one of you into the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you believe in Jesus for salvation, God gives you his name in baptism and his Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Father and the Spirit make their home in you. And beloved, if you have been baptized, you know that you are the home of the Spirit on earth. And this is why the New Testament incredibly calls the church God's temple and why it assures us that we can enjoy the fruit of worship when we gather together. It's why we're assured that Jesus is with us always until the end of the age. Because of the name of God, you and I and everyone who believe in Christ for salvation are the dwelling place of God on earth. I know you think, but how is it possible to dwell on, for God to do this? Like God cannot be contained by the highest heavens. Exactly, right? How can it be true? But it is true. With the giving of the triune name, God is assuring his people individually and together that he is their God who dwells with them because he lives with them in the fullness of the Spirit. And that's also why Jesus calls us to have a very special kind of relationship with each other and with the world. For instance, in Romans 6, after explaining that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Uh, do you not know that all of us who were baptized uh, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, right? Into the name of God. We were buried with him, therefore, in baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, Jesus lives in us so that we can live together in a way that brings life, not death, to those around us. Wholeness, 
not brokenness, righteousness, not sin, holiness. We can bring the holiness of God into the lives of those who are around us. And that's uh, not just for the way that we live in the world, but also for the way that we live with each other. I know that sometimes we think about these these sort of commands that we have in the Bible, sort of, well, it's just an ethical list of things, like Jesus' do's and don'ts. They can sometimes feel arbitrary. They're not. They are an expression of the way God lives in holiness with us and the way that we can be transformed into that holy life together. It's not random and willy-nilly. It is a way to look like Jesus to each other. Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then you ask, well, what does it look like to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, offering spiritual worship through transformed in renewed minds. What does, that, what does that look like? Here's what it looks like. This is as concrete as the Bible gets. It looks like humility. The very next verse. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. And that's not abstracted. It's not just humility, but within the church. That humility looks like you learn how to value every member of the congregation that God has put you in relationship with. Because the very next verse, which is, for uh, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Holiness for God means that you look at every single person in the church and you say, We are members of one another because God wants us here. And we each bring something because God has created us to bring something to it. And we are therefore to treat each other with respect and love and seek unity because that's what holiness does. It looks like this, uh, skipping on a little bit, Romans 12, 9 to 18. I'm going to read this. But this is what holiness looks like. Let love be genuine, how often do we think about love and holiness in the same breath? But this is what it love, genuine love. As a father genuinely loves the son, the spirit, so we are to genuinely love each other because we have been genuinely loved by Jesus. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. I must actually contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Holiness in action, right? That's a holy use of money. It's a holy use of your home. It's a holy use of your arms when you hug and embrace each other. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Associate with the poor. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. How many of us think of holiness as just trying to live at peace? That's what it is. See, why all, this is how Jesus lived his own holy life. If you go back and you lay these over the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus, who is holiness incarnate in, in definition, you would see this describes him perfectly because it has to. It's what holiness is. Holiness is living like Jesus in the world. It's relating like, like Jesus. And so my friends, if we are to keep from taking God's name in vain, if we're to keep from emptying it of its fullness then we are called by Scripture to do two things. We are called to worship Him together and to receive the fruit of that life with God that He offers. And then we're called to offer and display that fruit of holiness to each other and to the world because we have the profound privilege of being God's house on earth, His, his children who are indwelled, lived in, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, my prayer is that this will radically transform the way you think about yourself. How can you be worthless if you are the home of Jesus? Right? How can you give yourself to lesser things if you are the home of Jesus? I hope it radically transforms yourself. I hope it radically transforms your view in relationship with this church this congregation, the whole church of Jesus, and your neighbor, and the world. You, beloved, together, we carry God's name with us wherever we go. What an amazing blessing. Amen? Let's pray together. Our trying God, thank you for the blessing of carrying your name with us wherever we go. Uh, thank you for the blessing of being filled by your Spirit and of getting to enjoy all the blessings of life with you and of being drawn into your own holiness. Uh, please keep us from taking your name in vain by teaching us how to be holy and by pouring your life into us as we worship you. Uh, and please also keep us aware of what a great honor has been given to us, that we should be called the temple of God on earth, sons and daughters of the King. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.